Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Well, we are uh, we're in Gather at the Table, this series that um, I just, I, I don't know about you, I'm having a ton of fun with. I, I, this series has been so fun to prep for and to plan for um, because I think that it's something really, really pivotal that God's doing in our church. I think this imagery and this idea of coming to the table and the strength that comes in relationship is pretty incredible. And it's been a really, really fun one to look at the imagery of and everything that way. And so we're going to be, we're going to be doing this today. And then next week, Ellie is going to be finishing out this series. And then uh, the week after that in April, we're going to step into our new uh, series and we're going to actually do something that is a first for, for us since we've been here at One Life, which is we're going to go and do our first uh, book series. We're going to look at a book of the Bible and we are going to look through it and decide, not decide, Decide. We're going to find out what God is speaking to us through it because it's already decided. You can't decide. It's already <laughs> decided already. Uh, but we're going to go through and do that. And we decided to pick a really, really easy, basic one um, that'll be really easy to tackle. So we're going to go to Romans. It's going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> but we're going to start and we're just going to take it chapter by chapter and start processing through this letter to the church in Rome. And there are some powerful, powerful foundational things that we find in the book of Romans. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Ellie and I have been praying and talking about this and, and, and it is going to be really good. There's going to be some stuff that's a little bit of a deep dive and there's going to be some stuff that's really applicable to our lives. And so be ready for that because we're going to kick into that. And that means that on Easter Sunday, we're going to be in Rome. Romans. And we're actually going to focus on Romans 3, which talks about this idea of being saved and the fact that you don't earn your salvation by the works you do or the things you do or don't do and all that. We're just going to talk about what Paul wrote in there, that why we are saved by grace and we're saved by grace and salvation is for all of us, the Jew and the Gentile. And all of this truth that's found in there is what we're going to focus on on Easter. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's where we're going. But um, we are in the table. And, uh, and you know me, I love, I love this stuff, stuff that kids say. Uh, I want to read you a few things that uh, kids actually said uh, at the dinner table, okay? So, so this, is, this is where it ties in. Uh, this is one mom saying, I was in uh, the kitchen getting drinks for the kids when my son yelled, hey mom, guess what? These carrots are too big to fit in my nose, I'm so glad he decided to check for me. I had really been wondering. Another one. We had just gotten back from vacation, and so I didn't have a lot in the house for dinner. So the kids ended up getting a dinner of frozen pizza, yogurt tubes, canned peaches, and a half a donut each. My normally picky three-year-old looked at it and said, Mama, you're the best cook ever. You should be on TV. Um, we were eating peas with our dinner one night when my son piped up with, hey, have you guys ever noticed that peas are the same colors as my boogers? <laughs> my husband thought it was hilarious and I couldn't finish mine after that. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, all right. My boys know that a family rule is no passing gas at the table. Yes, after three boys, I had to make that a rule. 
So one night at dinner, my two-year-old hopped out of his chair and hid under the table. I asked him what he was doing, and he said, I'm tooting, but I'm under the table, not at the table. Oh my gosh. And finally, I left the table to get something and came back, and all my daughter's broccoli was gone. I asked her, right? I asked her if she ate it all, and she said, nope, I fed some to the dog. Now, this might not be funny in other houses, but we don't have a dog. And I still don't know where that broccoli went. <laughs> so if your kids ever use an excuse about a dog and you don't have a dog, just, you know, just check because chances are it's somewhere else in the house. Um, I, I, I want you to just uh, think for a second here with me and, uh, and, and, and maybe even just close your eyes just for a second. And, and I want you to process something. I want you to think back through your story. I want you to think back through your life. All of us have a pre-Jesus life. We have a, a moment where we came to Christ and we have life past that in relationship in the body of Christ. And hopefully, we all would be able to identify some things that have gotten way better in our life since we've come to the Lord. Since we've built relationship with other people at the table and in the body of Christ. I want you to think for a second on your story and I want you to just grab a hold of maybe some of those biggest moments for you, those biggest benefits that you have experienced to living in the body of Christ in relationship with the rest of the family of, of God. Hopefully, you're able to identify at least a couple of them, the benefits that come from, from being here, from being in relationship to gathering together as the church. Now, you can open your eyes. Everybody grab a hold of at least one in your life, okay? Grab a hold of one. Everyone's like, no, because you're going to make me share it. <laughs> no, don't worry. Just some of you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but would everybody grab a hold of, of something, right? You've got, you've got some of these benefits. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Um, I want to I focus today on the people that aren't yet at the table, I was praying about this, this message. Actually, this was a message that I, I got earlier on in this series. And I've been just praying about it and really processing through. Because I think there's a balance to the kingdom of God. There's a balance to living, right? So God very much and, and Jesus very much has uh, plans for our lives here within the body of Christ, right? But he also came for those who aren't yet at the table, and there is a balance between the two. There's a growth and a life and a strength that happens in the body of Christ. And there is a desire for those that yet have not yet experienced the love of Christ. Right. As I was praying through and thinking through this series, God, I just heard God tell me to ask the question, who's not yet at the table? Yeah. My hope today is as we spend a few minutes in the word, that that 
question will resonate in your heart as well. That, that as you look here at One Life, you look around going, who's not here? Who, who's not here? That there's somebody missing. I was thinking about this, you know, you, we all have circles of friends in life, right? And you ever, you ever go and you're gonna, you know, go to a restaurant or go to somebody's house and hang out, whether it's friends or family, and you're there, and either one, two, or more of that group isn't there. It feels different, doesn't it? Right? It just, it, it, it feels right when everybody's there. And when there's somebody missing, there's just this unfinished piece, and God was asking me that same thing. When it comes to us and as we gather together as the body of Christ, when we gather together here, is there a part of us that feels incomplete? Because this is incomplete. There should be. There should be something inside of us that goes, somebody is missing. Somebody's missing. Who, who's missing? Who's not here yet? Who's, who's not at the table? Who doesn't have a relationship? Right. And I begin to start to ask this question. And I, there's people in my life who I want to see come to the table. Yeah. I would imagine that each of you would have people in your life who you also want to see come to the table. Right. Come to relationship. Come to the body of Christ. Yeah. In fact, this week when I was praying and planning through, I actually... There's a, a guy, his name's also Jason. He's a fantastic individual because of his name. <laughs> we used to work together at the pawn shop. And, uh, and he's not a believer. I've known him for a long time. And every year, I'll text him at least once. Just very simple. Hey, I just want you to know, God loves you. I'm praying for you. That's it. Every once in a while, I'll get back a, thanks, dude. A lot of times I won't get anything back, except I know that he saw it because it's red. <laughs> but I started to be, and I actually texted him this week as well as I was processing through this going, he's somebody who I, when I look at the body of Christ, he's not here yet. He's missing. My hope is that you can actually identify some people in your life that you would say, they're not here yet. They're, they're, they're missing. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's loved ones, kids, parents. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's neighbors and friends, whatever it is. Hopefully we can identify some people that we say, this is not complete because they are not here. Yeah. This is the heart that, that God has. Now, as I was asking this, I was just talking with God and <laughs> I just heard God answer, to that question, who's not here? Who's not here? God, who's not here? Who's missing? And I heard him just come and say, I know who's not there. And I see them. See, here's the partnership. Our hearts need to break for those who have not experienced the love of Christ. And we also need to know he sees every person. He knows where they are. 
And the partnership is that as we begin to ask the question, he will put names and people on our hearts that we will begin to pray for and reach out to and to begin to just share the love of God with because he will put those things on our minds in the right time, in the right season. The, the reassurance is he knows and he sees. Maybe you're here and, and you're listening to the sound of my voice and you are someone who maybe you're like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm pretty distant right now. I'm, I'm kind of doing my own life and maybe I've been burned by church, burned by leaders, I carry hurt, whatever it is, I want you to know that God knows you and he sees you. John 1 says this, I'm sorry, John 1, yeah, John 1, I was right, says this. Then Jesus saw Nathanael. Nathanael, when he was coming to join the 12, he came. He saw Nathanael coming towards him and said, here truly is an Israelite whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That verse just wrecks me. Before any person comes, God knows, God sees, and his love reaches out. It's the beautiful thing about this partnership. So the question we have to ask is who's not here? I wanna say this with love and with challenge as well for us. If we're too comfortable with this being the way it is, then we've missed the heart of God and the church has just become a social club. If we look around going, I'm good with this. Like, this is great, this is all I need. We've missed it. Because the heart of God breaks for the people that aren't here. Now God loves you, I'm not discounting that. God loves you. But it says that he came to seek and save the lost. Now here's the, here's the thing about this. This is, this is what's so beautiful is <laughs> the reason that we can get so excited about this is because we actually carry the best possible news there is. We carry a hope that can't come from anything else. Why don't you think about that for a second? In a world that's dying, in a world that's hurting, in a world that's full of anxiety and pain, we carry hope. We carry the answer. We carry life. I think a lot of time for us as believers, we, di- we get too scared maybe or too intimidated about going and, and sharing our faith and sharing our love for Jesus. But if we were to actually wrap our heads around the fact that no, what we actually have is life. We're offering people hope. The message of the gospel is hope and life. I want you to, I want you to hear this is that God's invitation to people is not a sales pitch to a religious experience. It's a lifeline for a dying soul. When we are as ambassadors of Christ going out to extend the love of Christ to other people, we're not just being like, hey, will you just come to church and come be here? It's gonna be real cool. You know, we're gonna sing and no. We carry what their soul 
is craving. We carry that inside of us. What do we carry? The gospel. The gospel is that you and I were born sinners, broken because of sin. And while we were still sinners, God sent his son to earth to grow, to die on a cross, rise again, to conquer death, to conquer sin, to conquer shame. A lot of us really know this, right? We're familiar with this, but we can never, never minimize the power of that message. When you're, when you're carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world, you're carrying something that the world cannot offer. You're carrying something that is so counterculture that it can bring hope and life to people that are bound in living a certain way and acting a certain way and, and trying just to earn salvation and do all the right things that'll never actually work. We carry salvation. We carry salvation. I like to think about it this way. As believers, we carry the amazing responsibility and privilege of revealing the love of God to people. Man, what a privilege. What a privilege to say we get to live life in a way that shows the love of the Father to other people. This is what we're called to do. So how do we do this? John 13 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It's the love that we express to one another. It's the love that we express to others. This is the thing that will show the world that we are his disciples. And Romans 12 also says this, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in honor. This is the life that we are called to. At the beginning, I had you think back and process through what are some of the biggest benefits that you've experienced in your life being here as part of the body of Christ. Now, I want part of your, your prayer and your focus in life to be the fact that our heart should be that others would experience that same thing. The same thing that you get to experience and live in here, that we want that for others. We want that for our family, our friends, our coworkers to be able to have that same thing. So who's not at the table? What I wanna do is I wanna jump into a story in the Bible today and pull out some, some points, some elements about the love of God. And, and here, here's what I want you to, to pick this up on here, okay? We all here in this place are ambassadors of Jesus, which means we carry the authority and the name of Christ into a dark world. And when we do that, we need to have an accurate understanding of the love that God has for us and for other people so that we can carry that exact thing into the world. And so this passage is gonna give us some understanding about this so that we can just process it a little bit more. We're gonna look at the Old Testament. Yes, we're gonna look at the love of God in the Old Testament. Is that possible? Absolutely. The love of God was all the way through. It's why there was still a nation of Israel that didn't get wiped out. It's because he loved them. <laughs> um, if we go through, it's really true. You think, you know, like, wow, God is such a God of vengeance and all this, but he could have just, you're done. I'm out. You know, 
He didn't. He saved them salvation all the way through. I'd say that's a real sign of a loving God, you know, like put up with all of their insecurity, all of their unbelief, all of their sin, all of their stuff. And yet he comes and he loves them over and over again, provides for them salvation. I'm just like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool, God. That's pretty cool. Okay. Tangent. Here we go. We're going to talk about David today. So we're going to go to second Samuel chapter nine, second Samuel chapter nine. We're going to talk about a specific story of David and his life as, his, as he poured out this love of God to somebody else. Um, in this passage, uh, David is looking to extend kindness to Saul's family. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Here's the power of this moment. David, the one who was hunted, the one who was tried to be killed, the one who Saul repeatedly came after to destroy, David now, when he is in a place of ability, says, how can I bless Saul's family? Now, how many of us, our default is people that have wronged us, we go, how can I bless them? I know we're all Christians, so that should be a default. But it's not, right? I mean, if we're honest, we don't necessarily think of the people that have wronged us and like, Lord, bless them. There's probably other choice words that we have at certain times. <laughs> oh, come on. We're all sinful, right? You know, you know that this is the case, right? But I love the fact that David presents this idea that his worst enemy, he says, how can I bless them? Right. How, how can I bless them? And it's in this that we jump into the story. And we're just going to read the chapter, chapter nine, from the very beginning. David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. And they summoned him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? I'm your servant, he replied. So the king asked, is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, there's still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. And the king asked him, where is he? Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Lodabar at the house of Makar, son of Amiel. So King David had him brought from the house of Makar, son of Amiel in Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down to pay homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, I'm your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all that your grandfather's, all of your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Notice there that David is providing for not only his immediate, but he's providing for every other area of his life. The love of God, the blessing of God that David wants to bestow on him is complete in every way. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should take interest in a dead dog like me? And then I love this because David doesn't even answer that. Like he's not even going to qualify that. He just jumps right on. Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I've given your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons and your servants are to work the ground for him and you are to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba did not sleep. Um, just kidding, I added that. That's the annotated Jason version. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. 
Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. There's some amazing things that come out of this passage. And the key, fra- the key of this whole thing is the fact that there's always room at the table. David realized that his table was not complete because somebody was missing. And he went on beyond the people that were in his immediate company to be able to extend the love of God to. Not only that, God's continually calling those who aren't yet at the table. He's continually calling them to himself. Not with a rebuke, but with kindness and love to remind humanity how much he loves them. And this is what has happened there. So these are some of the things that we see here. I'm going to give you some points about some things that we see about the love of God expressed through this story. The first of them is this. God's love is unexpectable or unexpected. I can read unexpected. God's love is unexpected. Culture has an expectation of what love is supposed to look like. You're supposed to love and tolerate me, but I don't have to do that with you. I'm validated in my justice to just get revenge when somebody wrongs me. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, look out for number one. This is what some of the culture tells us how to live. And so it messes up with this idea and this concept of love that God has actually poured out. But the love of God, and this is what's so beautiful about it, It's unexpected. The love that you and I carry as believers in Jesus Christ, the love that we take out to the world is a love that makes the world go, what? 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 That doesn't make any sense. I I don't get that. Why? Because it comes from a different place. David, in this moment, what was interesting about this story is that it was customary for a new king when he was set in place to completely annihilate and massacre the previous dynasty so that they wouldn't come back and try to assume the throne again, right? And that was what was culturally expected. So when the attendants saw David calling Mephibosheth, they go, aha, he's gonna go and he's gonna wipe him out because it's the final piece that would solidify his throne. What does David do? Not that, David goes against all self-preservation and self-interest to love his enemy. See, the love of God does not look at self-preservation. What's best for me? The love of God does not look at my interests first. That's not how the love of God works. It pours out on other people. Now, the love of God does care for you and God cares for you deeply, but you don't have to do that yourself because God is taking care of that. Your focus and my focus is on extending that love to other people. This is is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to do. The kind of love that we are to carry is this 1 Corinthians 13 love, which you're gonna hear here is completely opposite to anything that you're gonna see in the world. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It's not boastful. 
It's not arrogant or rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It doesn't keep any records of wrongs. It finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This kind of love, this 1 Corinthians kind of love, is unexpected. Just just think about that for a second. It's unexpected. It's unexpected to believe that you won't keep any records of wrong. It's unexpected to believe that we'll be patient, (laughs) not rude, not self-seeking. It's unexpected. God's love churns the definition that's been put on this upside down. And this is the power of what we carry. Because again, we've all had people that have wronged us. We've all had people that have hurt us. But we all have the ability to carry this love that supersedes all that and passes beyond all that. And this is, this is the love that we carry. The second thing, God's love looks for an open door. God's love looks for an open door. The first verse of this in verse one says that David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? What's happening here? David is wanting to extend love and blessing to the the family of Saul, but he does it through Jonathan because he has an open door of connection with Jonathan. See, see, it was no accident that God had made Jonathan and David besties. It was no accident that they came together and formed this relationship because that was something that God was going to use as an avenue for David to be able to show love and blessing back into the family line of Saul. And so you see this this whole thing back in 1 Samuel, they had this whole interaction and there was a promise that was made and Jonathan said, hey, would you always promise that you would take care of my family line even after I'm long gone? Would you promise, would you make an oath to do that? And David did. And so in this moment, he was was going and he said, I have an open door here because you better believe that Jonathan, he communicated to his kids, hey, by the way, someday this is gonna get crazy. Um, We're not gonna be on the throne anymore. Um, And David is. And I know it doesn't make sense, so just go with me here. But David will take care of you and David will watch over you and David will protect you. Why? Because there's this oath that's made. And so years later then, David is able to come and fulfill that promise and bring the love of God into a situation where he has an open door to be able to do that. The key is this. God has placed people in our path for a specific reason. It is not an accident that you are surrounded by the people that you are. God knew you and he knew who you needed to be around to be able to share the love of Christ with. And so anytime that we look at our situations in life and we look at the people that God's placed around us, we have to understand that it is specific and we can either miss that or we can step into that and use those opportunities that God's brought us. There's a terminology used in in some discipleship curriculum uh, called 3DM that's really good. And they talk about this idea of of people of peace, people of peace. The idea of people of peace is people that you have an open door of relationship with already. Okay. In your world, I think you can probably articulate some people that maybe don't yet know the Lord that you have an inroad with. Okay. Family, coworkers, friends, whatever it may be, right? 
You already have an inroad. Now that might mean that might not mean that you have an open door to be able to share openly about Christ yet, but it's an opportunity that God's placed in front of you to be able to use for him. Now the question becomes then, will we take those opportunities? Because David didn't have to do any of this. David didn't have to reach out to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. He didn't have to reach out to him. He didn't have to do any of this stuff, but he chose to. Why? Because it was an opportunity that God had placed in front of him. My question to us, are we taking and stepping into the opportunities that God is placing before us? Do we see the opportunities that God has placed before us? A couple stories for you guys here. These I find just amazing. Edward Kimball was a shoe salesman. He worked at a shoe store in Chicago and felt led by the Lord to share the gospel with young Dwight a fellow salesman. Dwight responded to the message, gave his heart to Jesus Christ, and ultimately went on to be the greatest evangelist of his generation. His name was D.L. Moody. It was because of Edward Kimball's faithfulness to share the gospel that the Lord reached D.L. Moody, who in turn reached millions. What about Henrietta Mears? In 1928, she was called to teach a Sunday school class at the First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood. Under her direction, the class grew from 400 to 4,000. Just, you know, every time I read this, it from 400. Like, that's a Sunday school class? <laughs> she later went on to found Gospelite Publishing and Forest Home Christian Conference Center in Southern California. Of the people she influenced, 400 went into full-time Christian service. Among them were two men named Bill Bright and Billy Graham. Are you taking inventory of the people that God's put in front of you? What if, what if the person that God has put in front of your path is the next D.L. Moody? the next Billy Graham. What if they're right there? We can either walk in the love of God to be able to understand the people that God has put around us and share the love of God with or not. We have a choice. But how many opportunities do we have provided to us on a daily basis for us to be able to step into? I'll tell you this right now, parents, that a lot of this stems right down to parenting. Your kids, the ones that God has placed right in front of you to be able to show the love of Christ to. It's the greatest missionary field that there is, is being able to do that. Maybe your, your kids are grown and gone. Maybe they've fallen away from the Lord. Maybe they've, they've turned their back on him, all that kind of stuff. It's still is your greatest level of influence to pray, to believe, to contend for their salvation, to believe that the love of God will be expressed in their life. You guys okay? Okay. Okay. So this is, this is the thing we have to do is we have to take advantage and we have to qualify the people that God has put around us. Not take advantage of the situation, but take the opportunity that God has provided for us. Um, my, my mom uh, does this thing where every Sunday she gets ready to go to church and 
She's done this for a long time, and she'll start the day by just saying, God, who do you want me? And show me who you want me to show the love of God to today. She just prays that very simple prayer. And it never fails. There's always somebody that God brings in her path that she's able to love, encourage, bless, strengthen. It's, guys, it's, if we posture ourselves and position ourselves to say, God, I want to be used by you, to be, in, to be a conduit of your love, whatever that looks like, however that looks like, to whoever that is. I just want to be ready to be used by you. And if we do that and position ourselves, guess what? He'll use us. It's this crazy thing that happens if we desire it. The next thing that we see about God's love is that it's expressed through kindness. It's expressed through kindness. Verse three says, so the king said, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? The kindness of God to. The, the, the thing here that I recognize in David's life is because David had experienced the love of God, he wanted to extend that same love to somebody else. When we understand the love that God has for us, it empowers us to be able to love those around us. But now here's the thing, and this is the kicker, and this is where the enemy plays in our life. Because sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is to wrap our heads around the fact that he loves us. And that's where we get stuck. So not being able, we're not even at the point of going out and loving other people with the love of God because we are having a hard time even grabbing a hold of that for ourselves. I know we all, we all wrestle with this. We all wrestle with these moments where things are going on in life that we think that's the thing that discounted me and cut me off from the love of God. That, that's the one that just pushed me, pushed me too far. That, that, that has to be it. But the thing I recognize about salvation and the love of God and grace is that you're his kid. And you're saved and you're sanctified because of him. And I don't care who you are. I think about this with my kids. There is nothing they could ever do that would ever make me stop loving them. They might break my heart. They might run away. They might do their own thing, but it won't make me stop loving them. If we can think for a second about how that is how God thinks about us, that there's nothing that you can do that will ever shut off his love. And when we understand that, then we can be able to carry that to other people, but we have to be able to understand it in our lives first. The kindness of God is what led you to Christ. And the kindness of God is what leads every person to Christ. Romans says this, do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? It's his kindness. What you carry Again, as children of God, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, you carry with you his kindness. And that is what will draw people in. It's not how much you know about the Bible. I know a lot of people that do not care how much you know about the Bible. But they do care if there's a kindness that comes out of you. 
That's why, that's, why, that's why this is in here. Jesus leads with kindness. Well, he was pretty harsh to, to some of those you know, Pharisees and, and religious leaders in the Bible. Well, yeah, but they had it coming to them. I mean, they had already made their decision, right? Crying out loud. But you see, Jesus lead with kindness. And that is what drew people in to repentance in their life. So this is what we understand here too. This phrase has just been mulling around in my brain. And I want you to just grab a hold of this today when it comes to David and Mephibosheth. We can all be David because we've all been Mephibosheth. We can love and extend kindness and extend mercy and extend grace because we all have been the lame, outcast, hidden away with no hope and no future for life. And yet we were invited to the king's table. See, there's nothing better about any of us. We all start in the same place with nothing. And God gives us everything. David understood this. And and this is the thing that actually gives us power to be able to actually function in life and what he's called us to. God's kindness carries with it a different weight than human kindness because it's a divine kindness. It's divine in nature. It's divine in origin. It's different than human kindness. I read this in a commentary and I thought this was so beautiful when it comes to living this life of love towards other people. It says this, that the exercise of merciful love is an evidence that the one has himself experienced the divine mercy. And for this mercy is its source, its motive, and its example. What's that mean in simple English? Because I graduated from college and there are words put together in there that Anyway, um, the point of it is this. When you experience the love, it empowers you to love. Simple forms. When you experience the love of Christ, it is what empowers your love to be able to love other people. We can only pass on what we've experienced. We can only give what we've received. We're all called to be carriers of the kindness of God. We're called to be those people that carry that into a broken world. And it's that kindness that will draw people in to the heart of God. Draw people in. Not how legalistically you can hold the truth. It's how much you can love. Not negating truth, but have it wrapped in love and kindness towards other people. Um, there's There's a powerful, ridiculous heart-wrenching, destroying, terrible book that's amazing uh, <laughs> by a guy named Paul David Tripp. And it's a parenting book, actually. 14 Gospel Principles to Tramps of Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, in it, one of the main factors of this book, one of the main points of this book is this is that you are your child's first representation of Christ. Right? Like, uh, every time I hear that, every time I read that, I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. 
because I know that I'm not a perfect representation of Christ to my kids all the time. Any other parents want to raise your hand and join me? Okay, perfect. Yay, I'm not alone. Jason Support Center. Okay. <laughs> but I, I, I was thinking about it in light of this, though. There are people that you will interact with on a day-to-day basis that it might be their first introduction to Christ. How are you presenting Christ? How is your life presenting Christ? Take valuation of how you live, how you act, when you're out in your work world and everything going on. Are you giving a good first representation of Christ? Now, there is no condemnation. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about we all just need to be a bunch of little Jesuses running around with no problems going on in our lives because that ain't gonna happen. But I am saying, if we live from this place of continually going back to be filled by the love of God so that we can carry the love of God, then we come to these places where we naturally will represent an accurate image of the love of God and an accurate image of Jesus. If you you don't take any other notes today, I, I would encourage you to write that question down to ponder today as you go into your week. How are you representing Jesus? What version of Jesus are you representing? Is it the one that's just so missionally driven that it's just about man, the world, all the lies, all the everything? I just, I can't, I can't do it. I, I got to hold the truth. I got to hold a line. Well, all on that side can lead to some disconnect with people. Oh, I just want to have grace for everybody. I just want to have, you know, just be you, be you, do your thing. You know, that also has some dangerous repercussions. But if we live out the idea of truth in love, in fact, there's a verse somewhere in my notes that is in there because it's a really good one and it's not the next verse, but it's a good verse. Ephesians 4 says, we speak the truth in love. This is our motivation. Okay, let me give you these last few here because I want to wrap up. When we are extending the kindness of the love of God, we understand this, that the first thing, letter A, love casts out fear. Love casts out fear. You have to understand that there's a fear that a lot of people walk around with, that they're not good enough, that they're not perfect enough, that they're gonna go to hell because they're just, they're not doing the part. There's a lot of fear that plagues our society. There's a lot of fear that plagues our world right now. The perfect love, the kindness of God that you carry in your life will break down fear. I, I want you to carry this weight You carry the power to break fear in people's lives by how you love because that breaks down fear. It's not quoting another Bible scripture. It's by living as a child of God forgiven in your identity like we talked about last night and yes, empowered by the word of God, but it's bringing all of those things together to be able to pour out that love on somebody else. 
This, this is the motivation that we have. And when that happens, it casts out fear. John 4, 18 says this, that there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love that is Holy Spirit empowered, backed by the stability of scripture and is understood and realized in our own life, the experiences that we live in in our own life, that is what drives out fear. I love the idea that we get to actually carry some authority to break some fear. The second thing is this, B, love builds trust. Love builds trust. You know, trust is something that's very, very interesting for, for us to be able to process through. But I'm telling you what, if you know that somebody loves you, you're gonna trust them. If you know they've got your back, you'll trust them. And C, unwavering truth motivated by love brings stability stability. So I've given us a bunch of different thoughts around carrying the love of God. And hopefully you were able to grab a hold, of, even if you just grabbed a hold of one thing, that, that's, that's fine. Just grabbing a hold of one thing that you can apply and pull into your life this week to shape and maybe adjust and change some of the things in your life about how you, how you live, how you act, how you carry yourself when you're out in your job, in your workplace, whatever it is, Hopefully being able to have some of this understanding of like, wow, the, first of all, the immense grandeur of God's love that he has for us. And then being able to say, I, I carry that same thing in me. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to do this. So finally, and this is where we conclude. Our responsibility here is to look and see the God opportunities. Look and see the God opportunities. What are those things that God has put? What are those opportunities and who are those people that God has put in front of us? Yes, Lord. I don't know. It's, it's totally fine. We don't even need it. I don't need, I don't need a track to be spiritual because I can be spiritual without it. What are those opportunities that we have? Going back to the very beginning, as you remember the things that God has done in your life since you've been here in this community at One Life, in the body of Christ, wherever it is, remembering those things to let it empower you and motivate you to be able to share that with somebody that isn't yet there. To be able to share the love of Christ with the people that God has put in your path. My hope this week is that you can carry a little bit more of an understanding of the love of God. And, and obviously I covered a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, but the, the basics of the whole thing is this. God has put people in your life and he's empowered you to be able to show his kindness and his love towards. And will we take those opportunities that he's put in front of us? Right. Will we ask the question, who's, who's not here? Who's not here? this isn't finished. Something's off. Now, here's what I love about how church works. Because when we come together here as the body of Christ to worship, to be fed, to pray, all of these things, it strengthens us to be able to go out and to show that love throughout the week. This is where it all fits together. God cares for his flock. And he also cares for the people that aren't in, the sheep that aren't in his flock. Right. I just threw another illustration in. Back to the table, back to the table, back to the table. 
So I just want to do this today. I want to pray to wrap up. Uh, did anybody got something out of it, right? Grabbed a hold of one thing. Okay. Okay, good, good. Because I, 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 want, I want this to be more than just, yeah, that was, that was great. That was some good scripture. I want it to be life-changing for us. As I've been processing this, this has been something that has been that way for me. And so I'm hoping that it can do that in you. Um, I didn't grab one, but um, as a practical step, as you leave today at the Connection Center um, out in the lobby, there's actually, actually, where's Brian? There he is. Can I, can I call an audible? Can I? Will you still love me? Would you guys be able to get the uh, acts of kindness cards and have them to hand out at the door? Thank you. I love you. <laughs> As you leave, uh, the ushers at the doors are going to hand out some cards, and they're just little cards for acts of kindness that you can take with you. My challenge and encourage to you this week is to take one, find a way to be able to bless somebody else in your world, and use that card just to say, hey, God loves you and so do we, right? Just take those with you, keep them in your pocket and do that. Why? Because we all carry that and have those opportunities to be able to do that, okay? Does that sound good? Okay, why don't you do this? Why don't you stand with me? Um, we're gonna pray today and, uh, and then we're gonna close service and um, I'm gonna dismiss you to your weeks and to everything going on. But um, before, before I do that, I do wanna give an opportunity like we do every time for those that are maybe here in this room. And this is just gonna be a very simple, simple invitation. Those are in the room or online that you would sit here and say today, I'm here at church. I'm listening, pastor, to what you're saying but I don't yet have a relationship with God. I have not, I have not given my life to him. I, I haven't confessed that he's my Lord and Savior. And, and I want to do that today. I want to make that decision. I want to give my life to him. I want to receive the forgiveness that he offers. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And the way that we do that is just by paying, praying a prayer. And we all pray this prayer together, okay? And I just want to give you the opportunity to do that. The Bible talks about this. It says that if you believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now that's the beginning of a journey of sanctification, but it also is one of these things that's powerful in our lives. So would you do this with me? Bow your heads and let's pray this. Jesus, I come to you today with my life broken because of sin. And I ask you to come into my life, to be the Lord of my life, Forgive me of my sins. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for your death and resurrection. And because of that, I'm forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.